Kentucky was the like the final selection trial, and everybody had to had to ride at Kentucky, and that was one of the biggest courses I ever did. It was, you know, courses weren't so technical back in the in that day. They were starting to have some technical things, but just as far as big scary scary jumps, I mean, you know, you jumped up on the bank, and then there's a log suspended, you know, four feet high and six feet from the edge of the bank that you have to jump out over and down and, you know, stuff like that. And it it was um, a very imposing course. And I'll never remember, I'll never, sorry, I'll never forget uh, walking, you know, we walked the course with Bruce and talked about all how the fences were going to ride and everything. And um, when I was in the vet box after having done the roads and tracks and done the steeplechase, um, I saw Bruce there. He'd ridden around on his first horse. And what I hadn't realized is he had had a fall and he had broken three ribs and was in a lot of pain. Uh, I didn't really realize that. And I saw him there in the vet box and said, Bruce, how's the course riding? And he just looked at me and said, everything's riding much worse than we thought it was. Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast. The show for eventing fans by eventing fans. Thank you to our sponsor, Equiprism. Get your custom armband to match your custom penny by going to equiprism.com. Hey, Rob Lake, always we'd like to thank our sponsor, Exhibitors. Oh, we love Exhibitors. Yeah, Absolutely. great stuff. Great stuff. This week we'd like to feature their quick braid. Quick Braid is your go-to finishing product for all types of styling or training for your horse's mane and tail. You can train stand-up manes and tail to lie flat. Best of all, Quick Braid combs right out without washing, allowing easier mane and tail care for days after any event. The formula is designed especially for show ring results and is superior to using water or human styling product alternatives. They recommend using Quick Shampoo and Quick Conditioner prior to styling with quick braid yeah that's some awesome stuff well you know i'm the i'm a terrible braider karen so that's why i'm not allowed to touch the stuff but <laughs> right even this will help me out so. <laughs> but i've used it it's great stuff awesome awesome so thank you very much exhibitors we sure do appreciate it fall is here and that means winter is on the way what better way to keep warm than purchasing a running goat jumpsuit Go to RedingGoatEquestrian.com and enter MLE40 to receive $40 off your purchase. I'm Rob. And I'm Karen. And Rob, today on the Major League Eventing Podcast. Yes, ma'am. we super excited about today's guest. Very, very, very excited oh, about this guest. Karen. Not only is she an Olympian. Olympian. But, I mean, just a true legend in this sport. Absolutely. Welcome to the show, Phyllis Dawson. Phyllis, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Super oh. excited, Karen. Yeah. We're talking to an Olympian. Over I know. Here. We've made it. I know. We've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You guys are lying on a little sick there. No, 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 no. From I, here. I'm, listen, uh, I don't know. We see you at events, but we're too afraid to. I'm always kinda, nervous. I'm like, I know. Too nervous fearless. to walk up to you. <laughs> I know. But now, I'm gonna come, now, now you're not going to be able to get rid of us. I know. No, we really are very big fans. So yeah. Don't, oh, well, thank you. It's, it's not, uh, <laughs> it's sincere. But uh, hey, so. We know we're, you're coming to us by phone. We always like to find out where where you're coming to us from. Uh, are you are you traveling the world or are you at your home base? Where are you? I'm at my home base. I'm in my house at um, my farm, Wind Chase, in Hillsboro, Virginia, right in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Ooh, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Yeah, sounds, that sounds nice. nice. Yeah. Sounds like there's a place where you would make moonshine. Is there any moonshine? <laughs> enough on the farm there are a couple of old uh the remains of old stills and old moonshine bottles there's uh two or three of them around in the woods yeah oh wow nice, <laughs> nice. i love it that's why you gotta ask the questions yeah Karen. you gotta ask them. yeah <laughs> oh, that's so funny well it's interesting the area has changed an awful lot in the time i've been here when i first moved out here in uh well i'm gonna date myself here in 1987 um there was kind of a mix in the area between old Appalachian hillbilly types and a few farmers and a few wealthy doctors and lawyers who worked in Washington and had weekend houses out here. And we're, we're about uh, an hour northwest of Washington, D.C. And in 
over the 30-some years I've been here, that demographic has changed. There's been, you know, unfortunately more and more development, uh, more horse farms out here, which is a good thing, uh, more subdivisions and houses, which is not necessarily a good thing. And we don't see so much of the old Appalachian people anymore, but it, it's it, the area has certainly changed a lot. How about that? Ah, hopefully the... Hopefully that can slow down yeah, a little bit. Yeah, right. Good for yeah. property value. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, on that note, one thing I've done here at my farm at Windchase um, is I've, I've put the farm in a conservation easement. Because oh, wow. I couldn't stand the thought of someday it being a subdivision or, you know, anything like that. And um, I wanted to preserve and protect the land. I'm lucky enough to have 267 acres, and wow. it's, it's just a beautiful setting. And it's kind of like really my my life's work and I wanted to make sure to protect it for, for the future. So it's all, all in the conservation easement. Oh, wow. wow. Is that, so that's something that you like, you went, I guess to the government and, and said, Hey, I want to make this conservation land. Is that how that, I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like a land trust. Um, you, you give up your, your rights to divide the property, like into a subdivision. It limits how many buildings, how many houses can be on the property and how much it can be divided. And, you know, in return for that, you get some tax benefits, some tax credits. And, um, you know, you're, you're re- in a sense, you're reducing the value of your property because, you know, you couldn't sell it to a developer and, you know, put 50 houses on it. But that's what I wanted to avoid ever happening mm-hmm. to it when yeah. I'm gone. I think that says a lot about Phyllis Dawson yeah. as a person. Karen. I think that's wonderful. I love it. That is wonderful, Phyllis. I love that, Karen. Yeah. That's awesome. I wish more people did that. I know. <laughs> Everyone's about the money anymore, and you're you're doing it about keeping the land and preserving, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that's great. So, Phyllis, we'd love to hear uh, how riders actually got their start in riding. So, can you take us back and tell us your story and how you actually got your start into eventing? Okay. Well, you know, from the time I was a tiny kid, all I ever wanted to do was, was ride horses. And um, my mother told me that the first word I ever said was horsey. And, yeah. you know, I can I can remember, you know, with my best friend, Betty Thrall, growing up when I was a little kid, and we would have our, you know, pretend horse farm. And I always said, when I grow up, you know, people would say to me, oh, you love animals and you love horses so much. I bet I know what you want to do when you grow up. I bet you want to be a veterinarian. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, <laughs> I don't want to be a veterinarian. Yeah, I, I want to ride horses. But um, it all kind of really then my, my horse career started when I was four, and um, Santa Claus brought me a pony for Christmas. Oh. Um, literally on Christmas morning, I found it under the Christmas tree <laughs> in a big crate in the living room. And um, I wondered how Santa had actually gotten the pony down the chimney, um, but my parents explained to me that Santa Claus is magic, so he made the pony small, he brought it down the chimney, and then made it large again. Of course. So, um, you know, I still believe that to this day. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that was my first pony. Her name was Twinkle Toes. <laughs> and she was um, an unbroken yearling, which was probably a good, good choice for a four-year-old. <laughs> um, and then when I started riding her, um, like probably another year later when I was five, she would... She would bite me, and she would kick me, and then she would she would drag my uh, leg along the barbed wire fence, and then she would lay down and roll on me if she couldn't get me off any other way. That sounds very but, sweet. But um, I, I sort of persevered. I loved Twinkle Toes. And then as I got a little older and could control her a little more, my sister, my older sister, she's six years older than I, and she got a horse at about the same time. So So here I'm like, if I was five, by then she would have been 11. And so... We used to we used to race. Um, I'd get on a little twinkle toes, and she would get on her horse, and we would go up to the top of the hill, and then we would race down the hill back to the barn because that's the only way I could keep my pony going. And uh, when we got to the end, uh, needless to say, she would always win the race, and I would always fall off and lose my shoes and socks. <laughs> <laughs> I had these cowboy boots that were a little too big for me, and uh, when I fell off, the boots would come off. Then we'd go around, collect the socks, collect the boots, get everything back together, and go back up the hill and do it all again. <laughs> but, um, you know, then as I, uh, as I got a little older, um, you know, progressed when I was seven to a, to a, a little bigger and more willing pony. Um, 
This one was a, a Greenbroke five-year-old for a seven-year-old, so another good choice. He <laughs> yeah. bucked me off the first week I had him and broke my collarbone. Oh, and my um, You know, I, I can remember uh, when I when I fell off, um, you know, and it wasn't his fault, of course, because um, the dog barked and that scared him. And I remember that I fell off and it, you know, it really hurt. So I'm standing there and I'm and I'm screaming. I mean, this again is something in this day and age you wouldn't, you know, somebody would probably be arrested for leaving their kid out riding alone without any supervision. But I was out there by myself and I would yell and scream for mom, but she was in the house and couldn't hear me. So I went and caught the pony because he'd run to the far end of the field and led him back to the house. And mom came out of the house and said, you know, what's going on? And then I started bawling. And she said, well, oh, you should have just come to the house and not gone after the pony. And I was like, what? But he had his tack on. Like, that never occurred to me, you know. So from 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 an early age, I need to take care of my pony. Um, When I... uh, Got a little bit older. Um, my first horse I actually inherited from my sister, um, and uh, that was when I was eleven. And that was a um, you know a lovely thoroughbred mare that we had gotten from my next door neighbor. And uh, I fox hunted a lot on her. I also joined pony club, so um, I was in 4-H for a while. But when I when I joined pony club, I discovered eventing and. You know, that was just really where my heart lay right right away. I'd been doing show hunters up until then, um, and I started fox hunting when I was 11 and hunted with a Fairfax junior hunt, really enjoyed that. Um, and then when I was, I guess I was 12 when I joined Pony Club, and immediately I was, I was hooked on eventing. I remember the first event I ever did, um, I had on cross country, I had, no jumping penalties and 171 time penalties. <laughs> and and that was because this is in the old days of penalty zones, you know. And uh, for uh, those of you who are too young to remember penalty zones, it was 10 meters in front of the fence, 10 meters on either side, 20 meters behind the fence. That was the zone. And anything you did in there counted for penalties. Anything you did out of that zone didn't count. And uh, it was at Oatlands where they been holding the the Loudon event, and this would have been like, oh, I can't even think what year, but way, way back. And the first fence was on a hill, and then you went into the woods and down a slide, down this steep, steep sliding hill, and there was a jump at the bottom. Well, my horse wouldn't go in the woods. He wouldn't go down the slide, but it wasn't in the penalty zone. So I waited until the horse behind behind me started, then I followed him the rest of the way around the course. <laughs> Good um, Yeah. But it, uh, you know, it 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 did get better from that. There, uh, my first horse, Twinks, really, she she liked cross country because she was a fox hunter, but she wasn't too keen on the show jumping aspect of it. So, I often went over the show jumps without her um, because she could stop really suddenly. Um, but then I got my my second horse, which was a horse I actually bought from my sister, and it's a horse that she had. Um, had had raised she had a mare and you know my family bred it and she had this foal and she trained it and then by then by then I was probably 12 and she was getting ready to go to college and she sort of quit riding after she went to college so I I bought that horse from her um I remember I paid two thousand dollars for him which was a fortune back then and I I paid for it with money that I got from Raising and selling puppies, that was my, my business that I did to, to fund myself with wow. my parents' help, of course. And, uh, you know, yeah, I came up through the ranks of Pony Club. Um, I was always very, very serious about my riding. Um, you know, I also had a lot of fun with it. I wouldn't, wouldn't above playing little cowboys and Indians and going on some wild, crazy trail rides and branching off. Um, but I, you know, I vented all through high school and, uh, did the pony club and took lessons and also did some other fun things. I did a hundred mile one day endurance ride one time, the old dominion hundred miler. That was fun. Um, you know, so branching off a little bit, but, uh, after, uh, right after high school, I went to, um, Potomac horse center. That was back when they still had a big riding academy there. And they had, um, they did the, the, um, equivalent of the British, um, horse masters course. And, the horse master's course was more geared for people who didn't have a lot of experience. I, by that time, was, you know, um, 
that time I was a B pony clubber and had been, you know, going preliminary and was, you know, pretty serious. Uh, so they let me just come and take the exam and then take the advanced horse master's course. That was about a three-month course, I believe, right after high school. And I, I felt like I learned so much from that, you know. I got a lot of instruction, a lot of formal instruction, a lot of background that I didn't have. Um, it was like a live-in course, and you took your horse and trained and took lessons every day. And I, I felt at the time I got a lot of out of that. When I was done with that, I went to Bruce Davidson's as a working student. And I realized, like, the first three days, I learned more there than I had in three months at Potomac Horse Center. And I, the main thing I, I quickly realized being a working student was how much I didn't know. Um, you know, I think up until that point, I had kind of been the a little bit the big fish in the little pond because I was kind of, you know, always one of the better riders in the pony club and just because I was serious about it and worked at it and one of the better riders in the 4-H club. And suddenly now I'm in this real eventing world and did not have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, you know, being a working student at Bruce's, it wasn't um, easy, but you learned a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I did that, uh, spent, did my time there and, learned a lot and then I kept uh I kept going back after I sort of left there as a working student I would go back for a few weeks at a time or a month at a time a couple times a year take a few horses up and go and train and work and train and take lessons so I I continued to train with with Bruce throughout um you know a good part of my my career um in the meantime I had gone ahead and gotten my um my A pony club um and then I sort of worked my way up through the eventing levels. That's awesome. That's awesome. She stops right there. She gets an eight club. I'm like hanging on every word. And then it's, I get an eight pony club. And then the rest is kind of history. That's when it starts. Yeah, really yeah, well, <laughs> I know. well, after I, when I went to Bruce's, I had, I had done a preliminary. I had done a couple of intermediates and, um, but I'd gotten this new horse that hadn't really done anything, and he ended up being my first advanced horse. His name was Freedom Flight, and he went from his first training event to going advanced in about a year and a half. Um, so he really moved up kind of quickly, and I still didn't really have a, a clue what I was doing. But he was the best schoolmaster horse. You know, he was not necessarily the most talented horse, but he was very forgiving. He was very durable. Um and I competed that horse at intermediate and advanced level for seven years, you know, doing a, you know, old classic style three-day event every spring and every fall. He was always sound. He always kept going. And, I, you know, I got so much mileage on that horse, learned so much. And he was very instrumental in me getting the mileage and experience needed, you know. And that was in the days before sophisticated veterinary medicine to keep these horses sound you know and he was just made iron and he would uh he would jump around the cross country he was not the cleanest show jumper in the world but um you know i I learned a ton on him and in the meantime i had some young horses coming along and you know just just kept kept mileage mileage you know it takes takes a lot of uh a lot of events and a lot of hard knocks, and gradually you get there. Wow. And can you tell us about, like, how now, how, how when did you, uh, the Olympic experience, and you, you were in the Seoul, Korea Olympics? And right, in 1988. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, it was a, a fabulous experience to get to go and be a part of that. Um, you know, first of all, the selection trials that year were held at Kentucky. Um, the Kentucky was the like the final selection trial, and everybody had to had to ride at Kentucky, and that was one of the biggest courses I ever did. It was, you know, courses weren't so technical back in the in that day. They were starting to have some technical things, but just as far as big, scary, scary jumps. I mean, you know, you jumped up on the bank, and then there's a log suspended, you know, four feet high, and six feet from the edge of the bank that you have to jump out over and down and, you know, stuff like that. And it, it was um, a very imposing course. And I'll never remember, I'll never, sorry, I'll never forget uh, walking, you know, we walked the course with Bruce and talked 
talked about all how the fences were going to ride and everything. And um, when I was in the vet box after having done the roads and tracks and done the steeplechase, um, I saw Bruce there. He'd ridden around on his first horse. And what I hadn't realized is he had had a fall and he had broken three ribs and was in a lot of pain. Uh, I didn't really realize that. And I saw him there in the vet box and said, Bruce, how's the course riding? And he just looked at me and said, everything's riding much worse than we thought it was. And he walked away. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. But I, uh, you know, managed to go out and jump around it clean and earn myself a, a spot on the team. Wow. And being in, being in Seoul, we had to spend a month in quarantine with the horses quarantine and the quarantine was um it was up in unionville pennsylvania not far from bruce's farm and so we we spent the month before the horses were shipping to seoul um at the quarantine facility and we could you know we could ride the horses and condition them and everything but we had to sort of keep them away from other horses and that was the most stressful time because every day you're like you're terrified your horse is going to be lame and you know you're getting all of this um attention and and again that you the, the team didn't have nearly as good a support system back then as they do now um as far as the veterinary care and everything so we were a little bit on our own for that but we would have to jog the horses up every morning and you're you know you're terrified something's going to happen to keep you from going to the olympics um and on the one hand, you're under all this nervous stress, and then at the same time, you're getting all this attention from people wanting to interview and talk about it, you know, going to the Olympics, and it's like, wow, this is enough to make you a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> then then we get over to, to Seoul. We shipped over about three weeks early so the horses would have a little bit of a chance to acclimate, and, and yeah, it, it was an amazing, you know, experience, so we, we were there at the um, race courses where they had the horses. Um, they built this brand new big race course and race course stables and the whole facility, um, you know, you're, you're, you've got chain link fence with barbed wire on the top around the, the perimeter and then um, you've got armed guards and, and towers with machine guns and, you know, all this security. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, but as as we uh, got closer and closer to when the games start, more and more athletes from different countries and different sports started showing up because um, we were some of the first ones there so the horses could acclimate. So when you get there, we're in the Olympic Village and they have this um, courtyard that's kind of a green astroturf courtyard and it had 141 flagpoles around it uh, representing the nations that were going to compete, but no flags. And as it got closer to the games, as each country that was competing, as their as their the last of their delegation arrived, then their flag would run up. So each day, more and more flags went up, and until finally, as it got close to opening ceremonies, there's 141 flags around this courtyard, and it was just such a a cool thing. You know, you dreamed of going to the Olympics all your life, and then to to sort of be a part of all that and and watch this was really neat. Uh. The other thing that was fun is in the Olympic Village. Um, just to to talk to people and see people from all the different sports and all the different countries. I'm I'm actually a little bit shy about going and talking to people. I don't know, but uh, my my friend Jane Sleeper was on the team. She actually ended up being the reserve rider, but she she's more outgoing than I. And so every every meal time we'd go to the this huge cafeteria, you know, and you'd sit there and watch p- people and try to guess from looking at them, like, where, where are they from? What country are they from? You know, what sport are they playing? You know, you've got the, um, you know, these huge, you know, boxers and wrestlers, and you've got the gymnasts who are tiny and the swimmers, and, you know, you'd sit there and watch in the food line and kind of try to make guesses. And, and she made the rule that every day, every meal, we would go and sit down and talk with somebody from a different country and a different sport, somebody we didn't know. And, you know, it was really interesting in doing that. I remember one particular time we sat down at, at the table and um, four or five guys came and sat down next to us and they were um, great, big, strongly muscled, burly guys in long African robes and they their faces were a little bit beaten up looking and marked up and um I thought, all right, these guys have gotta either be boxers or wrestlers. Turned out it was the Nigerian ping pong team. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> or, or table tennis as they call it. But uh, yeah, so it, it was 
that was a you know a fabulous experience. <laughs> and then finally, you know, it's like you're still you're there. You're at the Olympics. You're still worried. You know, am I actually you know somebody's going to be reserved? Is it going to be me? Am I going to get to ride? And you know, is the horse going to be okay? And there's so so much stress and nervousness. And I'll never forget the feeling when I finally did my dressage test, going around the outside of the ring getting ready to enter the dressage arena and you look up and, you know, and I saw, you know, the, the big billboard there and in lights, you know, it says, you know, Phyllis Dawson, Albany to USA and riding up that center line and thinking, my God, I've done it. You know, I'm here and never, never forget that feeling. Um, and then I was the first to go on our team. So I went quite early. And so for a little bit, I was I had the leading score because you know I was like the tenth rider to go and um, you know and it wasn't like my score was that great but it was in the lead for a little bit. My mother was there and she's going, "My daughter's winning the Olympics! My daughter's winning the Olympics!" I'm like, "Mom, mom, shh, don't say that! I'm not going to be in the lead long. It's just because I went early. It's not. It's like I'm not that good." And she's like, "I know you're not going to be in the lead long. That's why I'm saying it while I can." <laughs> That's such a long thing to say. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Who all was on but, the squad um, with you? Sorry? Who all was on the squad with you? Uh, it was Bruce Davidson, uh, Karen, now O'Connor, but then Karen Lindy, and uh, Ann Sutton now is Ann Hardaway. No, she's now Ann Taylor. Um, yeah, so Ann Hardaway on Tarzan. Karen Lindy on The Optimist, um, myself, Bruce Davidson on Dr. Peaches, wow. and Jane Sleeper was the, the alternate. What wow. a squad, Karen. Yeah. That is awesome. awesome. Holy yeah. smokes. Then um, the cross country was held um, a couple hours away from Seoul, and it was actually right by the DMZ, and we had to go up there to walk the course, you know, so it was logistically a little bit difficult because you had to, every time you wanted to go walk the course, you had to truck up there and, um, you know, go back and forth. And then um, after the dressage, the horses were shipped up to the stabling there at the DMZ overnight. We did the cross country and then they were shipped back for the show jumping at the, at the main venue. So that made it a little bit um, difficult. And, <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a, a good team result. Um, I had a good go myself personally. My horse jumped around clean. I had a fair few time penalties, but we jumped around clean and finished uh, 10th overall, which I was thrilled with. Um, but my uh, teammates had ended up having some falls and some trouble, so we um, didn't actually finish a team. But I do remember coming home after that, um, I don't think until then my brothers, my older brother, I had three older brothers, and I don't think they had ever taken what I did seriously. They had kind of thought, yeah, you know, my little sister rides horses, but that's great, Phyllis, but when are you going to grow up and get a real job, you know? And they didn't really see what I did as something I could do as a career professionally. It was more like, you know, yeah, you're going to have to sort of, go find a job now. And then when I went to the Olympics and I did okay and finished 10th, they were, they were impressed. And they started to look at what I did a little bit differently. I remember <laughs> saying to me like, wow, you know, 10th in the world. <laughs> and then they looked at me in a little bit of a different light there after that. But, that's yeah. awesome. That's, that's so cool. Man, I love that. I love that. Such I love great that stories. Talking, yeah. That awesome. Awesome story. Thank you for sharing that. That is Man, that's cool. Yeah, it is. And now you've done like over twenty Kentuckys in your time, so you've seen the Kentucky Horse Park change and over the over the years and like ridden. Some I have, that. yeah. I first rode at Kentucky in nineteen seventy seven as a young rider. Um, the young rider uh, competition was sort of the test event before the World Championships there, and I did that, and then um, and then I competed there. Almost every year from 1979 to, I think, 2001. I might have missed, like, one year during that time. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. That is really mm. incredible. Jeez. I love it. This story is awesome. I Karen. know. I keep you can tell better. a good story, Phyllis. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. <laughs> 
This is great. So yeah. this, I mean, for anyone, like we just kind of said, we, we've, we've never met you before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is, and, and we're kind of, I know it sounds crazy, but we're a little shy about coming up to people we don't know either. So that's kind of funny. You were saying you don't, you know, you don't generally go out of your way to meet new people. So I can't wait to hear more stories from Phyllis. I know. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> I can sit around with a little, maybe a little glass of wine and listen to Phyllis tell stories. <laughs> this is fantastic. So, so, uh, Fast forward a little bit, like how, how did, uh, you know, the career progress and, and take us to like today's business? Like, I know there's a lot of time in there, but can you tell us about, you know, kind of how things progress from there and into today's business? Yeah, well, so I, um, I grew up in Great Falls, which is, um, closer into Washington and, my family had a little small um, 20-acre farm there. And so as I was, you know, after I trained with Bruce and started riding and competing and having some success in the eventing world, I started running, a lo- you know, my business out of there. We built some extra stalls, had an indoor arena, and I was doing boarding some horses and training and, um, you know, trying to trying to really start up an eventing business. But it... Um, the area was getting more and more grown up, and there wasn't much place to ride. It's 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 hard to condition an event horse going around and around and around a little ten acre field, and all of the places that I used to ride were getting developed and couldn't ride anymore there. And uh, so this was, I guess, 1986. I having gotten like yet again kicked off the uh, you know property where I'd been. I had I had a nice field that I had permission to go gallop in, and you know this is as I'm hoping to make the Olympic team and training seriously and competing seriously. And um, more and more subdivisions had gone up. So to get to this galloping field, I had to kind of skirt behind the subdivision. And the man who bought some of the land back there was very got very nasty and said I couldn't ride there. So I ended up having to go down the road in order to get to the place that I could gallop. And it you know, wasn't a particularly safe road, but I was you know, holding my breath and going up the road to get there. And one day I went there and I galloped, and I guess the guy who had kicked me off his property saw me galloping there, and he wrongly assumed that I had come across the back of his property, which I had not, and so he called the police so that the police would be waiting for me when I came back. Well, when I came back, I came up the road, not across his property, and the policeman was very actually sort of apologetic, and yeah, this guy's a jerk, but like, it was just so frustrating, you know, and I remember I, I went home and I was like, Mom, let's move, <laughs> and she said, okay, <laughs> and so... The very next day, she went out, I was busy riding, and she went out and looked at some properties, and she looked at the land, which is now Windchase, my, my farm, and fell in love with it. At the time, it was nothing but cornfields there and a little old beat-up farmhouse, no no stables or anything. It wasn't developed, but it was just... stills um, in the woods. <laughs> yeah, just a, a... Exactly. Just a beautiful piece of land, and... and you know, it's it's not it, it's not like in Middleburg. So the, it was um, kind of in a little corner, a northern corner of Loudoun County that hadn't really gotten too developed, and so the land prices weren't too bad. And so the next week, she took me out to see it, and you know, I fell in love with it too. And so we kind of started trying to work out how we could how we could do it, and ended up buying this piece of property and. Um, Built a barn, you know, started, got a builder, started building the barns. Um, we put in the pond, we picked up the rocks and planted the grass, and it had all been in crops and corn, or most of it at least. And uh, I was going to say, if I had a penny to, if I had a penny for every rock I've picked up on this farm, <laughs> then I could pay somebody else to pick up the rest of them. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's because, uh, you know, and, and I, moved out here in 1987 and my mother was still in Great Falls but then uh, a year or so later after my father died she moved out with me and helped me develop the farm um, and you know the two of us we pretty much built it for, from scratch or developed it from scratch and um, it, it's so special because it's like you know you, you made it just the way you wanted it and sort of planned it and envisioned it and 
built it or had it built, and you know, it's it's sort of more more truly mine than it would have been if I had sort of bought it, which I couldn't have afforded to do anyway. Wow. But uh, yeah, there's not. So as, as we bought that land, and we're sort of working on building the the barn and putting in the things that we could do physically ourselves, I remember, you know, thinking to myself, I'm so lucky to be here and I love this land so much. I wonder if I'll be as excited about it in, say, 20 years down the road as I am now. And, you know, sure sure enough, um, I I said, yeah, I'm sure I will be. And so now it's been 33 years and it's not a day that goes by. I don't ride around the farm and think how lucky I am to have it. Yeah, in the meantime, it was right after we had moved out here and just developing the farm that I um, went to the Olympics and then um, just continued on, you know, started growing the business. Uh, I had taken out a big mortgage to build this barn and I was like, yeah, I hope I'm going to have enough clients to to fill up the stalls, you know. it's um, uh, I hope there'll be enough business to support me out here and, uh, you know, it took a little while to fill it up, but actually that very, that first year leading up to the Olympics, the Canadians, some of the Canadians came and rented half the barn and trained here during that winter and spring. It was um, Nick Holmes Smith and David Wilding Davies um, and a couple of their colleagues and grooms, and that was a lot of fun. They're, they're a crazy bunch. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, gradually I started build, building the business, and at the same time, um, you know, competing i started to uh i fell in love with the irish sport horse um so i would go over to ireland and buy some young horses and bring them back and train them and and sell them on keep a few of them to compete and and sell the others on um i also started uh you know getting a lot of thoroughbreds from the racetrack and retraining them and competing them and then selling on started training having people you know sending their horses in for training Horses on consignment to sell, people coming in for lessons. Just uh, you know, it was kind of a complete eventing uh, facility, and um, you know, that's that's sort of the same thing I'm doing now. I'm I'm no longer uh, competing myself at this point, but I've um, got a lot of young horses in training. I've got an excellent rider, Cindy Anderson Blank, who's our our who's our competition rider, and she's taking the horses out competing and training the young ones and so so we're just just continuing on um i i continued to get as much mileage as i could with as many different horses as i could on the competing front and i was lucky enough to get to ride in in europe um a few times um i competed at burley three times and i rode in 1997 um on the uh Team. I was actually an individual for riding for the U.S. Um, at the Open European Championships at Burley in '97, and so that was another really fun team experience. Man, uh, I love it. I love it, Phyllis. Man, I'm loving your story. Holy smoke! <laughs> man, you are you're you're very. Uh, I think I, I just this is so awesome. So awesome, and I love the fact that you developed your land. So you know, it's that's pretty cool. I can imagine how good that feels. This, you know, to remember back thirty years ago and say, "Boy, here it is," you know, and I want to put a barn here and I want to put a ring here, and then here yeah. it is thirty years later, and, and it's and it's. I'm sure it's the type of thing where you know where, you know, you probably have stories about a, you know, the ring going up and the barn going up, and when this broke and you had to fix it and this, you know, I just can imagine. Well, the most terrifying story, the most terrifying thing that has ever happened to me was in 2008, um, lightning struck my barn and burned it to the ground. Oh, my goodness. And thank God it happened in the, day, in the daytime. It happened um, at 4.15 in the afternoon, and there was enough people around. We were able to get all the horses out. Um, we didn't lose any horses or any animals or anything, but it was, it was really, really terrifying. Wow. Um, it was... Just a, a huge storm came with a lot of lightning, and lightning struck the barn, and it caught the hayloft on fire. And first, we didn't quite realize it, and then all of a sudden, you know, we realized it. And started the first horses out of the barn didn't really realize anything was wrong, and but then re- it was so quick that it just went into flames and smoke. And 
we had five or six people grabbing horses out of the barn. The last horse out of the barn, the smoke was so bad that the girl who got him out had to find him by feeling for him because oh, she couldn't see him. You know, which of course is pretty pretty dangerous. Yes. And um, we were able to get all the horses out. And um, as as I, the, one of the last horses out, I grabbed them. Had a mare with a new foal, so I put the halter on the mare, pulled her out of the stall with a foal running along beside her. And we were just, we were putting, throwing the horses into a big paddock close to the barn. I mean, there was no time to worry about what horse went with who and mm-hmm. whether they're going to kick each other. It was just, we were trying to avoid just turning them loose because they will run back into the barn. You know, at least that's what I've always heard. Plus, you know, the fire engines were starting to come. But, um, but I had the, the mare in the fall and I pulled her out and, and was going to put her in the front paddock. And then my, uh, friend and barn manager Janine was leading the stallion out, Brandenburg's Windstar, and she's like, no, no, I've got to put him in that paddock. So I thought, oh, shoot, what should I do with the mare? I went around the corner and uh, was going to put her over in the other barn, and I saw my truck and trailer sitting right back up against the barn. And at this point, I knew all the horses were out. I had the last, the last horse. And so I thought, well, what can I do? I better try to at least save the truck and trailer. But I didn't have anything to do with the horse, with the mare. So I jumped in the truck with the door open, holding the mare by the lead shank, started up the truck and trailer, made a U-turn past the barn with the mare trotting along beside it, the foal trotting behind her, and drove it out the driveway. Um, but it was, I mean, it, it was terrifying. And the, from the time that the lightning hit into the time that, you couldn't go back into the barn at all. By the time I said, okay, nobody go back in for anything, we estimated to be about 12 minutes. Wow. Oh, my goodness. How many horses would – like how many stall barn, how many horses do you think? You it was have? a 16-stall barn. Wow. And fortunately, it's a sort of an open courtyard-type barn, like a horseshoe-shaped barn, okay. and so it was pretty easy to get the horses out. But, uh, yeah. That's incredible. Mm. And, and, you know, and then we're all there and it's like, you know, then the firemen are there and basically when they got there, they mostly concentrated on preventing the fire from spreading to the other barn, to the border barn, um, because it was too late to save my barn, you know, and, um, they, uh, were hosing down the other barn and then we were kind of there and I, I just remember at the time, my, all my working students and staff were there and were all kind of huddled together and everybody's in tears and I just kind of gave everybody a group hug and said, look, we got the horses out, all the people are safe, the rest of it is just stuff. And, it, you know, it, even then I, I, I would say, like, I, I can't believe how lucky we were. I mean, it was not lucky that the barn burned down, but if it was kind of, we were lucky that we got all the horses out, that there were people there, that it happened, happened when there's people around right. and... You know, we got the horses out, and nobody's hurt, and nobody's dead, and, you know, so we were really lucky. And then um, it was a huge outpouring of support from the, from the eventing community and the equestrian community. It was, um, it was, it was amazing. I mean, people, people came with their trailers and picked up the horse, some of the horses and took them home. They're like, oh, here, I can take two for a couple of days. I can take three to my farm, and so we sort of farmed them out. And then um, we borrowed some temporary stalls. Um, uh, Gretchen Butts at Weridaka loaned me some of her temporary stalls, and Jan Binney loaned me some some little gate corral, like round pen pieces. And so we put up temporary stalls in the indoor arena and stabled the horses in there while the barn was being rebuilt. Um, And... You know, of course, all the tack was lost, all the supplies were lost, and you know, and I had insurance, and and the insurance covered most of the rebuilding of the barn, but it's still, I mean, it cost about seventy thousand more to rebuild it than what the insurance covered, and yeah. um, I found I was woefully un, uh, underinsured for like the tack and and everything. You know, sure, I had I was insured for twenty five thousand dollars for tack and equipment. Well, that's you know, yeah, you start counting up saddles and bridles and blankets and medicines and you know everything it didn't come close and um but people just started sending me stuff i mean it it was amazing like the word got around and people were sending me tack they were sending me 
money. Um, John Nunn at Bitter Britain said that he would, anything I wanted to buy, he would basically give me like at half price, he would give it to me at just over cost. So it was like a 45% discount. And then people were buying me gift certificates with him and neighbors, people, people I knew and people I didn't know, um, people I'd never heard of were sending me either money or, um, tack bridles, brushes. Um, I had enough saddles donated that I could give a saddle back to all the working students who'd lost their saddles. Um, you know, it, it, you really felt good about how people came, came and helped. Wow. That's yeah, that's a, yeah, that's amazing. Holy, so mm. did you go with a bigger barn when you rebuilt? I rebuilt it almost exactly the same. Exactly. I made a few little changes and enlarged the tack room a little bit, but rebuilt it kind of in the same footprint. What a great I did commitment. put lightning rods on it. Yeah, yeah. I, was gonna, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking it, but I wasn't going to ask you, but yeah, holy smokes. <laughs> that is an amazing story. I mean, uh, wow. So much could have went went worse you know and then that's so wonderful to hear that the community rallied mm-hmm. around you john nunn still to this day is an amazing supporter of of the community yeah still out there now it's basically none finer i think he bit of britain's no more yeah no right? more so yep just all none finer yeah i already told it yeah support support none finer because i mean this is these are just one of many stories of where where john stepped up and helped the community mm-hmm. so for sure. Wow. Yeah, he's done a lot for the sport. Absolutely. So what's uh what 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 what's when chase, you know, what's your main mode of business these days? What's um what do you have going over there? Well, we have a little bit of everything going. Um I we have a boarding stable, so we have uh you know, people that come and board their horse there and they can train and take lessons if they want to, but it's not required. Um, we do a lot of sales. Um, I always have some nice young horses. Uh, I try to have some really quality horses for sale all the time. Um, both my homebreds and my, you know, other horses I've found wherever I, wherever I can find them. Sometimes they're imported, sometimes they're locally sourced. Um, but we bring them along and train them, give them correct basics, try to really do a good job with them and, and then offer them for sale. Um, horses can be sent to us for consignment. We're happy to take on horses to sell if, you know, it's, it's hard for an individual to sell a horse. It's hard if you just have one horse to get people to come see it. Um, so we take horses on consignment. We have people come for lessons. Um, I have, I've, I've had a little breeding, um, program. I had a stallion named Brandenburg's Windstar that, um, sired a lot of top event horses, uh, most notably, um, Alice and Springer's horse Arthur was by Windstar. Um, and he's now deceased, but we had him for a long, long time. And I've still got a lot of his, you know, his young stock coming up um, through the levels. Cindy's competing several of them. She's riding a horse named uh, Windshase Phoenix Star at the advanced level currently. And um, and another one, Fabergé, Windshase Fabergé Star is uh, preliminary, getting ready to move up to intermediate. So it's really fun to have you know, to have some of these homebreds, you know, on the whole, a breeding business sort of loses money. It doesn't make money, but we've got some, some fabulous, um, you know, homebred Irish sport horses out of the deal. And I'm continuing to breed a little bit. Um, we have, I think one of the best working student programs around. Um, I, I know I have a much better working student program now than I did when I was competing a lot of advanced horses because I have more time to devote to it. So I usually have three or four working students at a time. They come from all over and, um, you know, they work hard, but get a lot of instruction, a lot of riding opportunities. And, um, we've, we've also, um, we're doing a few new things here. I've recently opened up, I'm lucky to have, uh, you know, a fair bit of land and we have a lot of cross country jumps on it. And we've, uh, recently opened that up for schooling. If people want to, you know, by appointment can come in and, um, use the facility to school, and that kind of coincides with a, a, a Gordonsdale, which is a local cross-country schooling uh, facility near us, has been sold and been closed down, and so, um, you know, I kind of wanted to fill that void a little bit, and so I've opened up the farm for schooling. And the other thing we 
I do a lot of clinics, a lot of teaching. And the other thing I did that was quite fun is just last weekend we had our first cross-country derby. And uh, I hadn't actually held one of those here before, but it was a, it was a big success. I think people had a lot of fun. We um, made a course all through our schooling fields. The course ended up being just about two minutes long. Um, we had three different levels. We had like elementary, beginner, novice, and novice training. And um, they all did the same length course with different height fences and judged on jumping penalties and closest to optimum time. The course was so long that the optimum time for the elementary division ended up being like 10 minutes and something. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, that was not at a very high rate of speed, but right. but still, it's like, um, you know, going from field to field, It's uh, it was fun. Uh, I think everybody really enjoyed the, the length of it. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna do 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 more of those. I think we're gonna try to do the derbies a couple of times a year because they they were very popular. That sounds really really awesome. Yeah. That's, and you mentioned so you mentioned that you have the working student program is like really great. Can can you like elaborate a little bit more about that? Is it is it is it basically since like you said you're not competing? Like what? Can you tell me what what sets your working student program apart? Um, I think that the the amount of instruction and the quality of instruction they they get um, the the working students get a lesson pretty much every day. They get at least five lessons a week, and uh, on their own horse or on other horses. And they can bring their own horse and compete. Or if they don't have a horse, we do have other horses here they could ride. So it's they're not required to have their own horse. Um, they're not required to have eventing experience um some of them do uh, you know some of them come and have been going preliminary going intermediate and want to sort of move up but i get other people that are maybe coming from the hunter background or you know even riding western i i want people that have ridden and worked with horses before not total beginners but i, I don't care if they've ridden in a different discipline as long as they um you know are committed to wanting to learn about eventing um and then you know, we have um, actually four trainers here. There's myself, and then there's my friend Janine Reed, who's been like my best friend for 30 years, and she's the barn manager and kind of a dressage specialist. And then Cindy Anderson Blank is our competition rider. She's, um, you know, an excellent instructor. And also Amy Fison is uh, also one of our riders and instructors. So. They, the working students get to work with all of us. Um, you know, we all kind of collaborate, and I, I think it's you know we call it team win chase, and um, it is we we make a good team. I've definitely seen you at a shows, and yeah. you definitely always have a lot of really good students placing well mm-hmm. and beautiful horses. I love it. I love it. I see you out there now. Now I'm definitely going to come up to you. We're gonna, don't be surprised. Me and Karen <laughs> come up out of nowhere. We we have a thing. Oh, here. please do. Yeah. We always oh, get yeah. a picture with with our guests. So we always try to get like a little selfie photo with our guests. So don't be surprised when you see us come <laughs> stalk you down. And <laughs> hey, okay. Yeah. I'll look for you. Yeah. One. Uh, we had. I, I have to ask this story about her sales program because. We had uh, Sarah Gumbiner on, and her horse Polaris is mm-hmm. a five-star horse, a cross-country, absolute cross-country machine. And she came on right. the show, and she told a story about how sh- she basically just drove to your farm <laughs> trying to get a hold of you and didn't get a hold and just knocked on the door. And uh, she told the story a couple of times, definitely on our podcast, uh-huh. so people listen back to that. It's a, it's a fantastic story. It's crazy. Uh, do you remember, like, have you heard her version of the story, and, and do you remember polaris coming up and and uh do you remember that story and and what do you think is that pretty accurate how that all went down i i'm not sure exactly how her story but yeah i mean i i i think it probably basically is i mean she she was a student of boyd martin's at the time and she was looking for a horse and um if I recall that she and Boyd came and looked at the horse and looked at several other horses and then um then went home and I think she wanted to come back and and ride him again but she couldn't get a hold of me so she started driving down trying to call me and for some reason I don't know I that I think at that point I didn't carry a cell phone and um she was not able to reach me and 
she did just sort of appear knocking on the door, like, hey, I'm here to ride the horse again. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, I don't I don't remember a lot more detail than that. But I remember, I mean, the thing that was amazing is, like, he was, he was her first event horse. And, he, you know, at the time, he was, I mean, I bred him. He was a wonderful horse. I didn't actually had ridden him myself a lot in training, but he, he was five years old, and he would, I think, done one beginner novice event. And he showed, you know, amazing potential and ability, but, you know, he was still green and young. And here she was green, and she's, this is a big horse, and she's tiny, yeah. you know. And um, her, it, it was like... I kind of thought, well, you know, I mean, she seems really nice, and it's it's kind of a shame. I'd, I'd love to see this horse, you know, go to somebody who could really, truly develop its potential. And, you know, I think this horse could go to Kentucky one day, you know, but it's not going to happen with this kid. She's never <laughs> even invented. Um, but, you know, sure enough, she she proved me wrong and has taken him on. And, um, you know, she she has a little, she struggles a little bit in the, in the dressage phase with him, but uh, uh, my God, he's a, he's a good jumper. And mm-hmm. watching him go around Kentucky, and you know, I was there really watching because I'm on the on the selection committee, so I'm really watching all the horses go. And I mean, you know, she had like one of the best rides of the day. Right. And, I mean, he is a cross country machine, and she does a good job with him. I mean, it's been fun to watch her because, like, right at first, you know, he she'd go around kind of hanging on, you know, <laughs> but now she. <laughs> She's gotten a lot of miles and, and does a good job with it. That is awesome. It was it's a great story. So anyone who hasn't heard it, just go on back. Sarah is a very uh, she sees the target and 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 the finish line, and nothing gets in her way. Yeah. And that story that she tells is kind of just the way Sarah is in general. I mean, she told us a uh-huh. couple different stories when she was our guest and they were all very similar. She, she wanted <laughs> to feed Buckeye feed and they didn't sell it in her area. So she went to farms and said, you guys got to start using this stuff just so she can get it herself. Like there was no other option in her mind. It's like, I'm going to feed Buckeye and this is what I got to do to get it. And, and uh-huh. it like this, you know, the horse, it's like, it, she wants to get there. This is Boyd said, this is the horse for her. And, she fell in love with them, and she wasn't going to let you not answer the phone <laughs> stop her from <laughs> from buying it. Well, that's good. I I applaud that you know that attitude for sure. Oh, she's tenacious for sure. So we we love her. So anyone listen back to that, and hopefully maybe I'll send it to you. Maybe you you would probably get a chuckle out of it. But okay. Um, and you mentioned that you're a selector. So uh, can you talk a little bit about that? We actually had Jan Benny on. Uh, few months back and we talked to her she's also a selector um you know eventy nation just came out a couple weeks ago and with kind of like the criteria for the selection and all can you can you talk a little bit about being a selector and and what you guys kind of look for in that process a little bit yeah i mean i've actually really enjoyed being a selector it's um it's a little stressful it's a lot of responsibility we really want to get it right um but it's uh, it's it's a great gig when they get to go all to all these cool events, different places in the world, you know, and yeah. get your expenses paid to get there. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> I mean, they don't pay us for our time or anything, but they do pay our airfare. Like I got to go to Lemulin uh, this past June, and that was that was quite fun. So we we have we try to make sure that there's at least one selector. There's five of us on the committee. That there's at least one selector at each, um, you know major competition where U.S. riders are going. And then at, like, at Kentucky and Fair Hill, we're all there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's cool. I mean, we're basically, we're watching the horses, we're watching the riders, we're looking for good performance, solid performance, not just placing. We're looking for competitiveness, but also consistency. Um, you know, it, it, it you've got to have horses and riders that, that you know, sometimes you can go get around one time, but just scrape by and not do it the next. So we're looking for people that have proven over time that they, you know, the horses have have gone to a number of big competitions and did well, not just done it once and burned out the other times. Right. Gotcha. Now, and as a selector, do you select for? Is it just the 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 big ones, or are you guys also the selectors for like the Nations Cups teams and, and things of that sort, or are you just Wegs, Pan Ams, Olympics? 
We we do select um, like the Nations Cup teams. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Man, that's awesome. Holy smokes! And have have you gone out to see? Like, were you able to go to the test event at all by chance and see the cross country out there? The test event at Tokyo. Yes. No, uh, Eric Devander went, but but I did not go. Gotcha. I'm kind of curious, like if if you guys look at the type of course, the course designer, like, do you guys take that into consideration too? Like what, what, you know, I, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but if it's well, you, you, course, you do, you try to take everything into consideration. You certainly take into consideration, for instance, if it's going to be a competition that's going to be in hot weather, you want to make sure that you have horses that can handle the heat and handle the hot weather. Um, if, if it looks like the course is going to be really twisty and turny, then, you need a horse that can handle that. Some horses do well on the twisty, turny courses. Others do well on an open, gallopy course like a burley, but don't cope well with the turn. So you, you know, you do have to take all of that into consideration. Gotcha, man. This is exciting. This is exciting. Olympic year coming up. Yeah. So so excited. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's always a pleasure to be able to talk to a selector. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's really cool. <laughs> get the insight. So if you ever want to give anybody any of, if you ever want to like give us the inside scoop, you know, you got my <laughs> yeah, I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I got to ask, you know, I have to go for it. I have to yeah, try. You gotta try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Phyllis, do you have any advice for a rider that's trying to make it in the sport? Um, I'd say the best advice I can give, like for a young up-and-coming rider who wants to get good and wants to become a professional, is make sure that you spend enough time in a learning situation. Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of young people, like working students, that really want to want to make it in the sport. Some of them do, some of them don't. Um, I'd say the biggest mistake I see is people say, oh, I'm going to do a working student thing for a year, six months or a year. Now, after I'm a working student for a year, then I'm going to become a professional. And, right. you know, maybe they got a, got a nice horse and they have a little bit of competition success. And they they say, now I've been a working student for a year. Now I've got to get a a job, you know. My parents want me to get a job that pays money so they don't have to support me but they're not yet experienced enough to get, you know, a really eventing job. So they end up, you know, hearing about this job that, oh, you know, so-and-so has a little fox hunting barn with five horses and they need somebody to come in and exercise them and keep them fit and it pays really well and you get an apartment and, you know, they'll, they'll let you use their truck to go to the events and, um, you know, they think, oh, that sounds like a great deal. And after being a working student and working hard, suddenly now they're getting paid and they don't have to work as hard and they think this is super, but it's, it, it ends up like often being a, a dead end job because they're not learning. So you want to spend enough time in some kind of a, whether it be a working student position or, you know, a position like that until you get enough experience that you can get a job with a, with a top rider as so maybe an assistant trainer where you're still doing some barn chores but riding a lot of horses and still getting some instruction. And you got to be willing to to put three or four or five or six years into just the the education, the growing. You know, I tell people you wouldn't expect to go and go to college for a year and be a doctor. Don't think you're going to just go be a working student for a year and be a trainer. <laughs> Absolutely, I love it. Yeah, that's great advice. I think it's fantastic mm -hmm. advice. I, I love it, man. Phyllis is the best character. <laughs> I know. This is great. This I love is, this. We're having a great time over here. So, uh, Phyllis, we, as we kind of start winding things down, we know it's it's uh, it's been a long day for you and us. <laughs> we don't like to keep you too long. But uh, we always like to ask if there's any, uh, you know, sponsors or supporters that sponsor your program that, that you'd like to recognize. Um. Yeah, we're uh, we're lucky enough to be sponsored by Voltaire Saddles, um, and they are the most comfortable saddles in the world. I wish I had had a Voltaire back when I was uh, going around Kentucky, you know. But I'm lucky to have a nice, comfortable pl place to sit on my horse now. And we also get some sponsorship from the uh, Grand Meadows um, Supplements. Awesome. That is awesome. Very cool. Do you still, like, how, how much riding do you do at home? 
I, well, you know, I I ride usually two or three a day now is all. Um, I've got too many metal bits in my body, you know. I've uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a bit of arthritis, so if I uh, if my body doesn't quite hold up to riding, you know, eight or ten a day like I used to. But I do a lot of teaching, and I love schooling the young horses, and uh, not not the too young ones, not not when they're too young. <laughs> I don't. I I. When I'm sure they're not going to buck me off, then I'll start schooling them. Oh, I, I let the uh, the uh, crash test test dummies do the. Uh, <laughs> I just saw a video just before this interview on Facebook. Someone, it's like the caption was something about you know starting the young horses is so much fun, and it's someone long lining a horse, and then a horse just bolts and drags the guy, and he face plants, and it's not pretty. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny stuff. So, hey, as we wind things down, uh, what's how do people follow along? Websites, social media, how do people follow along and maybe contact you who want to come and check out your horses or maybe want to apply to be a working student or, or get instruction? How, what, uh, how yeah, uh, there's a couple of ways. Um, I've got uh, my website. It's uh, www.teamwindchase.com. Um, so, yeah, look for Team Winchase uh, website, or, you know, if you just Google Winchase, it'll, it'll come up. Um, and I keep that pretty current. I do the website myself, so I keep the sales page for horses and so forth pretty current. Um, and then I, we're also on Facebook. Uh, look for Winchase Eventing on Facebook. Awesome. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Well, Karen, was this fantastic? This was oh, a treat. Well, this was a real treat, Phil. So thank you. Thank you, well, thanks. I enjoyed it, actually. <laughs> actually. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure I was going to, but, you know. <laughs> well, we're glad you enjoyed yeah, yourself. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Thank you so much. Th- again, it is very much, it is, uh, I, I, I know maybe, I guess I sound like I, I laid on thick, Karen, sometimes, but it's just because I get very excited, and, and it is exciting for me to talk to you and, and and you know, hear from you, and and you're an Olympian, and we just... Uh, so it's sincere. We're, we're very, very, very glad that you joined us. Yes, yes, we Well, are. thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can leave us a review on Apple iTunes or visit us at MajorLeakEventing.com. Cheers.